0: So, all right, so here we are again, and uh, today we're going to talk about uh, IP ownership, uh, inventorship, patent infringement a little bit, yes. these few topics, and then, of course, we're going to do another uh, weekly news bite at the end. Yes. So, there was a story that you had told me a long time ago when we first met um, about a someone who had, had revealed some unfortunate information about um, a litigation case I think. Yes, yes. A, in a deposition. And I, I I'm not I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin it. So you, okay. you go ahead and tell the story so want to be a spoiler.
1: Yeah, no, no, I don't want right. to ruin it.
0: So go ahead and
1: But isn't me. that always the problem with uh video trailers or I mean movie trailers is you don't know whether to give away too much or to then too you ruin little. the movie or too yeah. little then they won't watch it. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, yes, we're talking about Inventorship. You asked me about inventorship earlier, and yeah. I said there's two sides to an inventorship question. Well, maybe there's many sides to an inventorship question, but there's two sides I'm thinking of. One is who is an inventor, and the other side is what does inventorship have to do with ownership, right? So mm-hmm. the story I told you from years ago, I was, I was in litigation, and there were two basic issues. One was patent infringement. And the other was IP ownership. Who owned the patent? Wait, hold on. Can they be, so
0: inventorship, so being an inventor does not necessarily mean that you own the
1: invention? Well, being an inventor does mean you own the invention unless there's an agreement that says otherwise. Uh. So in the U.S., in the U.S., if you are an inventor, a patent inventor, if you're on the, na- the face of the patent, you are the patented inventor, You are the owner of that patent or a Hmm. co-owner of that patent unless there's an agreement that says otherwise. And there's almost always an agreement that says otherwise, right? So if somebody works for a company, they probably have an assignment agreement in place where they assign their rights to patents to the company. Do we have that? We do. So whatever you invent, I own. Oh, man. So Keep that in mind. Okay. I haven't invented anything yet. Yeah, that's why I don't think either of us has to worry about ever being in dispute because you're just not that inventive. I'm not. (laughs) No. No. So I'm kidding, you're very inventive. Oh thanks. So anyway, so most companies have an agreement in place with their employees because that's the scary prospect is you hire someone, they invent, they own the intellectual property because you don't have an agreement in place. Right. And That'd so, be pretty bad. So there's ownership and there's inventorship, right? So the first question is inventorship. Who Who is an inventor on a patent? And I'll give you a, a story about that, because remember we promised a couple weeks ago that we wouldn't bore people with just diatribes about... Technical stuff. Stuff, right, yeah, yeah training. So, so I was litigating this case, and I was in depositions, and it was about infringement and ownership of a patent. So basically... The other side claimed they owned it, and the other side was suing us for infringing it, but we believed that perhaps they didn't own it. Hmm. We didn't know who owned it, but we didn't think they owned it. Interesting. So anyway, we're, we're in depositions, and I'm interviewing the guy. I'm deposing the guy who is the inventor. There's one inventor on this technical invention. It's a highly technical invention. So my background is Chemistry not electrical engineering or mechanical engineering. And I'm reading this thing, and I'm thinking, wow, this is really technical. So when I go to interview or depose the guy who is the inventor, remember, this is one person listed as the inventor. And I go to depose the guy, and I'm expecting to see this big brain inventor who does not have a big personality. You know, he's, he's an engineer, you know, and, and there are some engineers out there with big personalities, but... I don't expect it you know like when I see a brilliant engineer I expect them to be have a small personality you know I don't expect them to take over the room like you'd expect a sales professional to do you know sure they don't have that outgoing burst of enthusiasm about every little thing so anyway I go into the room and I meet this guy let's just call him Gil so that we don't expose any real names okay mm-hmm. so Gil I walk in and I see this guy who's like taking over the room with his personality and I'm thinking wow Gill's an inventor because he's just too big a personality right. than what I expected. So we're going through this. That's deposition. my problem. I'm, you got too big of a personality. You're too big. Yeah. I know exactly. That's why I don't think of you as an inventor. But looks can be deceiving. I should be nerdier. Yeah, so I'll I'm wear thinking, Yeah. So I'm thinking, wow, this guy is like, you know, he's the ultimate inventor. He not only has the big brain for invention, but he's really charismatic and he's got a big personality for sales. So as we're going through the deposition, I'm curious. So I asked the guy, by the way, tell me about the invention. How did you come up with this thing? And he, with like a big smile, says, "Um, oh, I didn't. And I said, what do you mean you didn't come up with it? And he said, no, no, I bought the inventorship rights. And I said, well, wait, you bought the inventorship rights? How would you do that? Now, by the way, my opposing counsel was not a patent lawyer. He didn't have a registration number, and he didn't have Mm -hmm. one with him. So he didn't even know what was about to happen. And that is, his guy was about to admit to something called fraud on the patent office. Because what he said is, I bought the inventorship rights from the real inventor. You can't buy inventorship rights. Either you're an inventor or you're not. You can buy the patent, but you can't buy inventorship rights. If you are not an inventor, you cannot be named on that patent as an inventor. So he buys the inventorship rights, they file a pa- he files a patent application as the inventor which is fraud on the patent office. But
0: why why can't you do that? You would think I mean if I invent something why don't I have the right to sell
1: that to someone else? Well, you can sell the patented invention to someone else, but you can't sell the fact, you can't sell your inventorship brain and the quality of the inventorship, and the credit for the invention. That's really what it is. Hmm. You can't sell the credit for the inventorship to someone who's not an inventor. Interesting. I mean, that would be fraud on the world, right? If somebody's listed, Ray Guarneri is listed as the inventor, and you don't know anything about the invention. Now we're starting to produce patents that have people on the invention listed as inventors that didn't actually invent anything. Hmm. So you can sell the patent. You just can't sell your named inventorship rights. Is, okay. there a, is there a benefit to that, to, to, like,
0: to the world, I guess? Well, there's a
1: benefit to the world of knowing who the inventor is of patented inventions. I mean, here's a simple thing, and that is I might want to hire that guy. you know right. I might want to engage that woman as a, uh, a consultant to work for me because she developed this great thing that's described in thorough detail in a patent. Mm. So anyway, in this particular case, this guy big smile. And he's so proud of the fact that he did it. Like it was so clever that he came up with the idea to buy the invention rights. And I said, well, why would you do that? And he said, well, it enables me to be a better at marketing by my, my invention. You know, because if I'm just the sales guy, I don't have any credibility. But if I'm the inventor, I have a lot more credibility. So I bought the inventor rights. Wow. So I immediately put it in my pocket because I didn't want to expose what he just did to his lawyer who didn't know anything about intellectual property right. law. So then, you know, the outcome of the case of course was that, you know, we 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 essentially had the patent invalidated for fraud on the patent office. I mean, it was the most blatant fraud on the patent office I had ever seen. It's not like a case where you, you know, negligently, inadvertently maybe leave an inventor off because sometimes you might have 3 or 4 or even 5 people who are contributing inventors to a patent and they should have their name on that. And inventorship fails if you have people that shouldn't be on there on there or people who should be on there that aren't on there. In hmm. both cases, inventorship fails. And it could be accidental and you just get over it with a fine or something. You know, you pay a fee. I was going to ask, so if, it, if it, you
0: make a mis- like an honest mistake, you're yeah, not a fraud, right. then it doesn't invalidate the patent. But it, you, there is some other consequences, like a fine or something.
1: Yeah, and by the way, that's one of the reasons that when you go through the patent application process, you want to know who the inventors are. Because you have to put the inventors that are actually the inventors on right. the face so of the patent. How do you fig- like, how do you figure that out? Oh, well, basically, you have to... I mean, if you're the patent lawyer on this, you interview the inventors. And you want to know what everyone did. Because, by the way, everyone wants their name on a patent, right? It's cool. Yeah. I mean... It's good if you're in the if you're an engineer, a chemist, a you know, biologist, if if you're in the technical arts, you want to have patents on your name. It's right. kind of like publications if you're a professor, right? You know, mm-hmm. the publisher parish kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't have your name on a patent and you are an engineer, you know, you're diminished. Right. Right? Yeah. You're out at parties and what do you have to talk about? <laughs> I mean, what else is there than being someone able, else's invention. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, my point is um, when you're going through the process of figuring out this whole patent application thing, one of the important things is figuring out who the inventors are. And basically you can figure that out by looking at the claims of the invention where you define the property right and pointing to the thing that you contributed. Mm -hmm. You have to have contributions to the invention, inventive contributions that end up in a claim. Let's say that you have this specification which is 50 pages long. And your inventive inventive fingerprints are all over the specification, but none of those inventive contributions end up in a claim you're not an inventor so generally speaking if you are if you have contributed to the property right of the of the patent which is the claim, you're an inventor and then your name goes on that patent and if if your name isn't on it you know you could have fines, you could have penalties because all the inventors have to be on the patent if they've if they're actual inventors. So in this case though, it wasn't even a question of inadvertently, you know, leaving a name off or inadvertently adding a name. Because by the way, everyone again, get back to everyone wants to have their name on a patent, right? So sometimes people will want to get their name on a patent even if they didn't really do anything. Like I'm the manager, right? I'm the director of research and that's one of my people she created this, and I was kind of hanging with her at the time, so I want to have my name on that patent first. In fact, right. I want mine to be the lead name because I'm the boss, right? Right, right. That's actually not legitimate. And yeah. if you do that, you now have a problem with your patent that, yeah, if it's, if it's inadvertent or something, you can fix it by paying money. But if it's fraud, if it's fraud on the patent office, it could be a much deeper problem that could lead to something as bad as invalidation of your patent. Right. So anyway, this was the most extreme example of somebody who totally violated the rules associated with inventorship right. by buying patent rights. It
0: almost seemed like he didn't know oh, what he was he doing. Oh, he
1: didn't know the consequence. No, he knew what he was doing. He was buying rights to something that he didn't have and that you can't buy. I mean, let me say, take a minute, he might have thought you could buy it, but he knew he wasn't the inventor. Let me put it that yeah, way. Yeah, well, he yeah. Knew that, he knew yeah. he didn't invent it. And he knew that he was trying to dupe the public, at least. He had no idea he was also duping the patent office. Right. But his view is, I want to trick the public into thinking that I'm the inventor so that I could be more effective at sales and marketing. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if the person who actually invented it knew what
0: they were doing, that oh, they couldn't that sell they that right. they sold the rights. I don't know. They sold something that they didn't,
1: strangely, they didn't own, in a way. Well, they did own their inventorship rights. Right, but they but, weren't allowed, They can't, couldn't, couldn't sell. sell it. You could sell the patent. Again, right. you could sell the patent. Right. So you file a patent application. I'm the inventor. You want to have my patent that you can market? No problem. Just buy it from me. Oh, but you want to be better at marketing. So you want to actually have your name listed as the inventor? You yeah. can't do that. Huh. Yeah, so anyway, they did that, and they couldn't do that. So that's one side, though, is inventorship. Who invented it? Who's the patented inventor? And oh, by the way... If you file your patent application and then you go through all the back and forth with the patent office, you're fighting about claims. You know, the patent office wants to give you the narrowest possible protection and your lawyer wants to get you the broadest possible protection. And it's all based upon the prior art that's out there that defines how much protection you can get. And ultimately, you started out with maybe two dozen claims and they had to be narrowed so much that your four inventors went down to one inventor, right? Mm -hmm. So at first, with all this... This robust claim, this broad claim, you had like four inventors on there, right, but at the end of it all, it ended up as one inventor. Well, now you have to take three inventors off, so these inventors thought that they were going to be the life of parties for the rest of their lives it's a deflated by being balloon. exactly exactly now you've got to go back to them and say, sorry, you're out now, yeah why are you out because the prior art and the patent office forced us to narrow the claim such that you got Bumped off the side of the bench. Right. And you're out. Right. So, anyway, that's the inventorship side. But then the other side is ownership, right? Because that's a really important issue as well. And I have one quick story on that, and that is a guy called me because he wanted to file a patent application. Mm-hmm. So, because I know that inventorship is important, I asked him, you know who developed this invention. And he said, "Oh, I engaged a contractor to do the invel- development for me." Okay. And I said, "Okay, well, you know, give me the essence of this engagement that you had." "Oh, he's he's a brilliant uh, developer. He came up with everything, and he basically I told him the problem I wanted to solve, and he solved it for me. And I paid him a lot of money to do that." And I said, "Okay, can I see the agreement?" And I said, "Well, I mean, it was just an oral agreement." And I said, "Okay, well, you know, nothing was reduced to writing. And he said, no, 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 this guy's a friend of mine. We've known each other 20 years, and um, it's no problem. He's a good friend, and I paid him. We don't need an agreement. We had a handshake, and a handshake is our bond. And I said, okay, well, the problem is your handshake does not define intellectual property rights. Mm -hmm. So this friend of yours, this longtime friend of yours, who you paid a lot of money to develop something that you want to bring to the marketplace, Technically, he owns your patent rights. Better yet, more importantly, he owns his patent rights. You don't have any patent rights because you're not the inventor. Right. Now, it's counterintuitive, right? Whoever pays the money should own the intellectual property. Right. But that's not the case in the U.S. In the U.S., ownership flows from inventorship unless there's a gre- an agreement that says otherwise. Now, what should the guy have done? He should have had a contractor's agreement in place. Yeah. And the agreement said, I'll pay you this much money, and I own all the intellectual property rights of what comes out at the end. Right. And the contractor will sign it almost 100% of the time. Why? Because they want the money. Right. Because I have a choice of any number of, a, any number of contractors, right? I can choose between 20 contractors that can do this for me, and whoever wants the money is going to do what i need them to do and by the way it's fair right if i'm paying for it i should own the patent rights so who's going to stand up and say no 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 you're going to pay me the money but i still want to own the patent rights right well they might say that if they cut their fee by 50% or something or if there's some negotiation that goes hand in hand with them affirmatively and you affer- both of you affirmatively agreeing that they're going to own some or all of the patent rights. Right. But you want that to be a decision. You don't want it to just happen to you. Yeah. And in this case, so the guy ends up going back to his friend and says, oh, by the way, you know that you know, my patent lawyer is telling me that i got to sign these documents, so could you go ahead and sign? The guy looks at it and he says, wait, assign you the patents? Don't you already own the patent rights? Oh, no. And my guy says, no, technically you own the patent rights, and I've got to get you to sign them over to me. So the guy, his 20-year friend, says, well, why would I do that? What are you going to pay me to do that? You should pay me to do that. And he said, I already paid you. I paid you a fortune to develop this. And he said, well, apparently you didn't. Apparently you paid me a fortune to develop the product, but not a fortune for the intellectual property rights. Apparently you haven't paid me anything for that yet. So oh, you've got to pay me for that now. Wow. So what did it do? It cost my client a lot more money, and it broke up a 20-year friendship. Wow. Because my guy's attitude was, I just paid you a lot of money to do this. And, you know, we did it on a handshake. And I didn't tell you at the end of it all, I'm not paying you because we don't have anything in writing. I wrote the check. Right. So when I come back to you now to sign the patents, you should do the same. Yeah. But the guy on the other side of its attitude was, well, you paid me to develop a product which I developed. We never even talked about these Patent rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't even know about patent rights. Now, my guy could have played it a little more smoothly and just said, oh, it's just paperwork. It's just boilerplate stuff. Yeah. You know, but he didn't think about it. So the the lesson there is have your agreements in place. Yeah,
0: have your contracts.
1: Yeah, whenever anybody, anytime anybody asks me about their rights in any business situation, my first question is show me the documents. Because your documents will define your rights. Right. If you have a joint development project, show me your joint development agreement. You know, you have a contract for anything, show me the documents. Right. And with small companies, more times than you'd be comfortable with, they don't have documents. Now,
0: are there any situations where um, where the, 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 the IP rights, by mere fact of being the person who invented will, like, supersede what can be put in a contract. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, in the case of inventorship with the patent office, if you invented it, you have to be the one listed as the inventor. Right. Does that, um, having been the person who originated the idea, ever, like, invalidate a contract or if you assign those rights well, in paper, that's
1: it? Yeah, yeah. Well, stuck. put it this way. If you assign the rights, the inventor, being the inventor, being listed as the inventor, you and I enter into an agreement like that guy did to buy your inventorship rights, that would be an invalid contract because you can't do that. Right. right? But, again, you can assign the patent rights. So my, you know, what I would do and what I always do when I'm involved in any business transactions is I sign or I get documents in place that define the rights between the parties. And sometimes it's not as easy as I'm paying you so you own it. Sometimes we have to decide who's going to own what rights in a patent because a patent can have, there's a lot of things you can do with a patent. For example, a patent has a duration, right? There could be rights around a duration. It could be I own a certain duration of rights, and that could be a license, right? I have a license to a certain duration. It could be a field of use. So I have a technology that's great for both the chair industry and the um, auto industry. And yeah. I could license it to you in the, uh, so we're developing it together. And I'm, on the, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, an auto guy and you're a chair guy. And we say, look, we're gonna develop this technology together. And maybe it's cup holder technology, right? It could be used in chairs it could be used in cars. So I say, <clears throat> we're gonna develop it together. But before we start, let's agree upon who owns the intellectual property. That has to happen 100% of the time. Every single time, mm-hmm. who owns the intellectual property? And sometimes that comes down to what is the intellectual property gonna be? Because there's patents, copyrights, trademarks, trade secrets. And some people come into a relationship having already developed some stuff. So you have to uh, decide who owns those rights. Yeah. You know, some people are gonna develop stuff after the agreement's done, who owns those rights. But fundamentally, in our case, where I have an auto business and you have a chair business, and we have a cup holder invention, I'm going to get it for the field of automobiles, and you're going to get it for the field of cups, and we can do that in a few ways. We could say, I'm going to own the patents, and I'm going to give you a license, an exclusive license, with respect to the entire chair industry. Right. Or you're going to own it, and you're going to give me the exclusive license. Or we could co-own it and have an agreement on the side that defines our rights with respect
0: to that patent. So it all comes down to contracts and agreements and and making sure that all of that paperwork is, is in place
1: yes. before you start working. Yeah, because it's so easy to, to work things out before you begin. You know, nobody's invested anything yet. We right. don't even know if we want to work together, right? right? So let's get all the ugliness out of the way first. Right. Let's define who's going to make what investments. What are your obligations and what are my obligations? Right. And what are going to be the fruits of your labor? What are going to be the fruits of my labor? And if you don't know how to do that, call a lawyer. Yeah, but more importantly, what you should do is let your business goals drive it, because ultimately, intellectual property is not a legal thing. It's a business thing. Hmm. If you just have, I mean, yes, yes, of course, you need a lawyer to help you get a patent. You need innovators to help you invent stuff that could be worthy of a patent. But ultimately, why are you even doing all that? Right. Who, where does the lawyer make the money? The lawyer makes the money from the business. It's not just about showing the, off yeah, at cocktail where, parties. Right, exactly, exactly. It is about showing off at cocktail parties, but it's not mostly about showing off at cocktail <laughs> parties. That's an incidental benefit of being a patent, and right, patent inventor. Right, right, right. But think about it. Who pays the salaries of the lawyers? The business leaders? The, 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 re, the revenue drivers? Who pays the salaries of the innovators? the business leaders, the revenue drivers. So ultimately, all of this comes down to what makes sense for the business. What are your business goals? I'm in the auto business. I need rights to this cup holder technology for my auto business. If we end up developing something and I can't use it for the auto business, why am I even in this? I'm not in this just to get patents. I'm in this to advance my auto business. Just the same, you're in the chair business. If this doesn't advance your chair business, what are you even doing here? Why would you spend one penny on this. You wouldn't. Right. So what you do at the beginning is figure out what your business needs are. Okay, then what intellectual property rights do I need to advance my business goals? You could also ask, what intellectual property rights do I want to advance my business goals? And that's the stuff in the middle that you can negotiate. But most importantly first, what do I need? Right. If I don't have these intellectual property rights, I will not work with you. Hmm. Where, what, where's that line? Because once you define that line, now you know where you need to be with respect to negotiations. Because if you say to me, if I know that I must have exclusive rights to our cup holder technology in the auto industry, if I walk into the room with that in mind and I get anything less than that, I won't do a deal with you. So, so
0: this might be getting a little bit into too specific, but I'm just curious – if you get into an agreement, like a, we're talking kind of joint development agreements, right? Yeah, in right? that case, so, kind of like a JDA. So, so if you get into an agreement and you define these rights and say, okay, this is what I'm going to put in my chair company, this is what you're going to put in your auto company, and we're going to invent this. But then we start to get working and, uh, you know, uh, some lab technician trips and falls and spills something, and all of a sudden we realize now, now we also have invented something that's going to help uh, keep liquids out of fabrics, and that's good for my chairs, chairs in the car. Yes. And the, yes. So now, like, what happens then?
1: Did you just is, come up with that idea? It's pretty y- good. Well, I yeah, like that. Yeah. It's pretty clever. So, yes, that's a great example. We never even thought that we were going to develop anything useful for keeping nasty liquids out of fabrics. Right. All we were talking about was inventing. We just wanted to invent the cup holder technology. So we're working together on that. And then your inventor, one of your team members, spills something or develops something inadvertently. That then you might say, look, you own that because your team came up with it. Yes, we happen to be working together, but who's the inventor? And remember, ownership starts with inventorship rights. So your person tripped and inadvertently spilled something and discovered on her own that this thing would protect you know, fabric that could go on chairs, both in cars and in, you know, regular chairs, that then you would probably have ownership of that. But we'd have to negotiate that, right? Right. Because ultimately you'd say, hey, here's what I came up with. You'd walk in one day and say, hey, guess what I got? And I'd be like, what'd you get? And you'd say, I came up with this cool idea on how we can do this fabric thing that protects my chairs and yours. You want in? I'm like, hell yeah, I want in. Mm -hmm. You're saying, okay, look, your investment's going to be $2 million dollars. I'm like, all right, are you putting $2 million in as well? No. (laughs) I'm putting in the fact that I came up with it, so I have all the leverage right now. Right? Right. We didn't do this together. I'm like, well, wait a second. We got this joint development agreement, so we both own it. And then you pull out your document. Well, let's read it. Let's read our joint development agreement. Show me in there where it says that we're going to have this fabric treatment development. Right. It doesn't say. So maybe what you say in the agreement up at front is, Anything that any of us develop that relates anything to automobiles and chairs as a combined thing is part of the JDA, part of the Joint Development Agreement. Now, does anybody sign agreements like that? No, I mean, that's. Probably not, because you wouldn't want, because you don't know who's gonna, going to come up with it, right? Because right, yeah. I might trip and fall, and I might be the right. one that I want to say, give me the two million, and I'll put my idea in. Right. But, I'm, I'm, but it's a good example of how. It's all about the agreement. Where the ends of the, the spectrum yeah. could what be. What does the agreement say? I yeah. mean, and then you'll have lawyers, you'll have people like me analyzing it and fighting about what the agreement means. But ultimately, you got to start with the agreement. And I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's with your twenty year friend. I don't care if it's with your mother, right. your father, your brother, yeah. your cousin, your girlfriend. That's why I, I don't say care. don't do business with family. Well, no by, makes business and family. By the way, you know this always happens too in business. Two people get together. Tom and Ray say, "Hey, let's develop this. Let's start this business." Right as long as it fails, we're happy. Why? Because we don't fight over anything. Right. If it succeeds, that's when it gets that's ugly. That's when it gets ugly. And we don't want to have an agreement. Why? Because we're friends, you know? We yeah. don't have to get into all that messiness uh, uh, right now. Oh, contracts. And exactly. It's, you know, it's, for, it's not, we're friends. We're never going to have a problem yeah. or a conflict. Yeah. yeah. Wait till you steal my girlfriend, <laughs> you know? Wait till, you dr- wait till one night you're drunk and you do donuts on my front lawn. I mean, who knows what's going to happen sure. in business, right? right? Or wait till one of us gets greedy. Or wait till one of us feels they're working harder than the other. Okay? That happens all the time. All the time. 50-50 owners. Death to an agreement. Yeah. Because somebody's got to make the final decisions. And also, you have to have decisions about who's contributing what, right? Yep. And that's got to be in writing. So these friendship agreements, you know, two kids, 20 years old, get together, start their own business. It becomes a huge success. And they're fighting because they never defined contributions Hmm. so one person's out on the beach all day because his attitude is i only wanted to make like a million dollars and now i'm set for life the the his partner she says i want to make a billion dollars and he and the guy's like fine keep going keep working but wait you own 50 percent. that's not fair i'm doing everything and you're out on the beach that's the problem go to the agreement so if there's no agreement, what do you do? Right. So anyway, I guess the takeaway, in our we're at 29 minutes and 11 seconds, and we want to move this thing along. The takeaway is have an agreement yep. to define your intellectual property yep. rights. And I'd even have a broader agreement to define all your business obligations. Who's going to contribute what?
0: Yeah, I think that was a great inter, uh, overview of, uh, of, of inventorship and, and IP ownership. Um, so let's talk about uh, the NCAA, and... Um, What uh, I think her name was Nicole Berkowitz at IP Watchdog said was the the nebulous tenant of amateurism. I loved that quote. Yeah, it was a good quote. So so this is really about uh, college athletes' right of publicity, right? It's a right of publicity. Right. And so you read that article, and and I'm curious to know, what do you you think about that? Should they be allowed to have Nike sponsorships and whatnot? Okay, so
1: what I understood of the article when I quickly skimmed it was that college athletes haven't been able to make money off their sports because that would make them professionals. And collegiate sports are all about amateurs, right? Mm -hmm. So big uh, issue is universities are making a fortune off these kids, and they're not making any money. They're getting tuition, which is good. They're getting free tuition, free room and board, But they're not making any money when the university. Yeah, that's like
0: nothing compared compared to to the fortune
1: that a few are making, right? Like that a few could make. I mean, there's probably stars on the teams that are that could be worth a lot more. But all these rules came into play long before social media started. Mm -hmm. I mean, the internet only emerged in like 1995 or so, right? I mean, it it was it was invented. Al Gore invented it before that, right? But (laughs) but. But it didn't, um, it didn't emerge commercially until like 95 or so, you know? And there was no social media until probably like, what, 2000-something, right? 10, so, eight, well, think like about that. it. Facebook is like, I seem to recall from the social, the social network movie, Facebook was like 2005, 2006, right, right? right? Twitter, I remember from the book Hatching Twitter, which was a really good book, was like 2010, right? That's when social media started to really become something. right. There were there were none of that existed when these rules came into play. So the question is, can somebody make money off their their image or their likeness, right? Their persona. And can a college athlete? That's the thing, you right? You would think I mean, so well, if, if I'm not a college if I'm just a college student, absolutely. I mean, my I have three college students, right? Three college my daughters are all college students. Two sophomores and a junior. They are on TikTok, they are on Instagram. They're on Twitter watching people put makeup on. Uh, yeah, All they're the making millions of dollars And the people somehow, putting makeup right. on are making a lot of money. There yeah. are stars that are college students that are making a fortune. They're stars, not in sports, just in their image, their recognition on social media. They're making a lot of ad money, right? Right. They're still students. Why, if So I guess what I'd wonder is why wouldn't a college athlete be able to do that? Because it's not like they're making money directly from their sport. They're not being paid to play sports. The university's not paying them. Right. They're making money out with a they're making money from a lemonade stand. They're making money More from working as a part-time job selling cars. Right. I mean, they're making cold calls for our company. Right. You know, they're not making money from their sports. Their image and likeness, yes, it was driven in large part because they're in sports, but people walk around and they're just good looking, you know, and people want to look at them on, on Instagram. You know, there's people that are just interesting, fascinating characters without being athletes. And my kids are watching them on reality TV all the time. God knows why, but they are. So the thing is, why shouldn't an athlete be able to leverage their persona and their likeness and their image that they've created, regardless of where they got it from. It's not like they're making money. They're not being paid directly. Playing sports, you, so this conversation is just making me
0: think. And this isn't not this isn't necessarily, I think, a good argument against why they shouldn't be. But it's just interesting to wonder whether or not the popularity or the the ability of a college athlete to sell their persona might affect their prospects of becoming a profe- an actual professional athlete down the line. Because you know, if you if you've got a football player who's okay, but has the biggest following on Twitter and Instagram. I mean, isn't that going to make them more appealing to like the NFL? Because they're just they're trying to sell yeah ratings they're and trying to sell tickets. tickets
1: yeah so yeah I think it would be a big boost to a player. But you know, if I were looking at it the other side, as we're talking, I, I mean, I only read the article five minutes before we started right. right yeah so it's kind of it's kind of growing a little bit, and I'm thinking, what would I argue if I were the university side? I'd say that the only reason you have a persona that's worth selling access to is because we gave you free tuition, free room and board, free books, free tutors. Right. If we didn't give you that, no one would know you. Right.
0: That's kind of like the Taylor Swift right. argument about
1: right. her rights, her copyrights on her early Except works. Except the difference there is Taylor Swift signed away her rights. Right. Well, do, but when she the, didn't have any leverage. When the, uh College athletes, do they, sign their, do they their image rights? And I don't know. That's a great question. If they do, and they do, I could, again, it comes down to the documents. Right. Show me the documents, right? Yeah. So if you said to it's me, all, yeah. if, if, uh, if Taylor Swift came to me and said, hey, do I have the rights to my songs that I created before I was famous, I'd say, show me the documents. Right. And I'd read the documents, and then I'd say, no, you don't, because you signed those rights away. Interesting. Now the athlete comes to me, hey, I want to be, I got this big, You know, Instagram following, I want to make money from it. Can I do it? Show me the documents. Did you sign anything with the college or university? Yeah, I did. It's right here. Okay, it says they own all your rights to your image and your persona. Now, there's another fight then, which is was that fair, you know? But that's a different fight. I don't know whether they sign anything, that they sign away their, their rights on their advertising rights for their own image. I don't know. But if I were the university, that would be my argument is, let's just talk about an equitable argument, a fairness argument. If it wasn't for us giving you this this free tuition and bringing you in, you'd be a nobody. No one would be following you. But then if I were the athlete, I'd say, if it wasn't for me playing football or basketball on your field or your court, you wouldn't be getting all these massive endowments that you've got, these donations. The problem with
0: that is a lot of those, I mean, I would – I presume that a lot of those students who are the famous college athletes were recruited and usually you're not recruited by just one school. So to say, well, without us you wouldn't it was like, well, oh, maybe I would have right.
1: been but at another school right, right, and maybe right, they right, would have right.
0: let me, right. you know. So And
1: and by the way, there's it, another thing. What if they go into the university with an image already? So there's this TV show that I watched with my daughters. Oh, that's interesting. It's about high school f- athletes, high school football players. Yeah. And I forgot the name of it, but it's a pretty good show. Friday Night Lights? No, but it's something where they follow along each season three quarters. It's a documentary. It's kind of a documentary, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's, they follow real high school athletes around, and it's a whole season of it. And they show you know, all the games and all the like, off-field stuff. And there were, I saw a bunch of seasons, and one guy went to Wake. Two guys went to Wake Forest. One guy went to the Ohio State University. One went to Georgia. One went to Florida. These people had massive followings before they ever entered college, hmm. right? So, arguably, they got their recognition from, from the high school, sh- yeah. from the show, from all these other reasons. So, would the university have the right to essentially hijack all the reputational? Value that they gained before they ever even got there. Yeah, it seems to me that in every way, it's the it leans toward the student being able to leverage their likeness, and that not really having anything direct to do with becoming a professional athlete, right. being paid as a professional. And then you, it gets
0: even more complicated when they're under eighteen, because their parents had to be involved in signing these contracts. Oh yeah, as and well. their parents
1: were thinking, "I'm going to get get me some money out of this." Right. Right. Yeah,
0: and then they were, you know, they signed the wrong agreement and, and they didn't care. realized they couldn't get That's any money right. out of it. You know, they That's signed right. their That's child's right. yeah, life yeah, yeah. rights right, away. Right, 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 yeah. And then they they're really it. mad. Because they didn't read it. Right? Or right. hire a lawyer. Right, 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 yeah. But it seems to me like the only fair thing is for these students, for, for anybody really, to have your right to your own image. Yes. And it'd be pretty dumb for you to sign it away unless you had good reason, like. Right. Again, because
1: someone's going to invest a lot in exactly. you to Exactly. See, you that's famous. the thing is it all comes down to leverage, right? <clears throat> if somebody says you have to sign away something, do you want to do the deal? You know, that's what it comes down to. What are they giving you? If I'm a nobody and someone promises to make me a somebody if I sign away my rights, yeah. and I do that deal, and then I become a somebody, is it fair to go back and say, I want those rights back? Because w- because you wouldn't even be a somebody without them. Right. And then go to college athletes, you know, you're right, they have a lot of choices. Some of these really great players probably have a lot of choices, but I'll bet you most don't. I'll bet you, like, it's the 80-20 kind of thing, right? Yeah. And I'm not sure exactly what I just said there. But right. it's like maybe a, ha- a small fraction have a choice to go to any school. Right. And a big, giant chunk of the players on that team. This is their shot. Yeah, this is like their shot. And they probably have almost no shot to make it to the professional sports. Right. But they might, be, they yeah, might gain it's Instagram a, it's fame. It's a big filth, yeah. And that's the cool thing about social media fame for these guys. You don't have to be the best player. You just have to be the most interesting player. Right. Right? You don't have to, be, you don't sure. have, to have twitch yeah. muscles that were God-given that you simply cannot get around if you don't have them. But if you're interesting and you're pretty good... Right. You might get more famous than the guy with the twitch muscles who's running way quicker than you for the first 30 yards, right? Yeah. yeah. And
0: then you've got a career afterward, even if there it's not as a professional athlete.
1: All right, so we should probably wrap up. Yes,
0: we have covered uh, inventorship and IP ownership and right of publicity in the NCAA. This was a good episode. All right. See you next week. See you next week.